Aalto University Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of uh, Cloud Features. Um, this time, Tommy and I are joined by uh, three authors. So, Aida Hairo, Milda Zilinskaite, and Paul Baldassari, who recently published a piece called Addressing the Elephant in the Room, Global Migration and Its Implications for Business School Teaching published in Academy of Management, Learning and Education. Um, welcome welcome to the uh, episode. Nice being here, Mika. So, yeah, and, and thanks thanks for joining us. Uh, really, really means a lot to us. So, like, before we dive into the paper, um, could, could you spend a couple of words, like, describing, like, who, who are you, like, where do you come from and... Uh, Yeah, brief introductions, please. So I'll start. So um, I'm currently assistant professor at Vienna University of Economics and Business. Uh, originally, I'm from Bosnia. I spent the first five years of my life living in Mexico City. From there, at the age of five, we moved back to Bosnia. And there I lived until 92, when the war started. We moved back to Mexico. From Mexico, we moved to Austria. In Austria, I did my high school, university degree, PhD, and then I moved to the UK, where I lived and worked for six years in London, and then I continued working for another six years in the UK, but I lived in Vienna, so in total 12 years uh, work experience in the UK, and yeah, since uh, 2019, I've been full-time here employed. And given my background, uh, uh, there is also very deep interest for the topic of migration. Yeah, so I think the yeah. migration background is what kind of brought us with Aida together as, as researchers and collaborators, because she has this uh, incredible story of being a child to a refugee family. And uh, I have a migration background in a different context. I left my home country all by myself at the age of 17 to study mm. abroad, never went back. So it's been over 20 years now, you know how old I am. Um, and actually, Austria is my fifth country of residence. So I've worked and lived and uh, studied and taught in, you know, on three continents, um, the US, Spain, Germany, South Korea, and, and now somehow got a gig here. And I'm right now senior scientist um, also at the Vienna University of um, Economics and Business. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, um, all I'm the uh, practitioner, I... Uh, started working for an, uh, a large international company about 23 years ago. Um, we actually employ a lot of uh, migrant workers, which uh, um, gave me the opportunity to work with a, a lot of people that are, are in, in, in need of support. And um, we have been working on improving the situation for migrant workers since many, many years. Um, I have been in different functions in the company. I uh, led HR for like five years. I've been in engineering, facilities, real estate and so on, and in all these functions. Um, so the different ways that uh, migrant workers can and need to be supported. 
Um, so I'm, I'm very passionate about that subject too. Wow. So, so you really are the perfect people behind this paper. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you about your motivation. So, um, of course, uh, you explained your background story and uh, that kind of gives the motivation. But uh, could you talk a bit about why you started this particular story? So what were the motivating factors? So the topic is a very important to all of us personally, and I will just tell you how it started. I knew Paul. I met Paul, Paul also here at the Vienna University. Um, and I also, I mean, I knew that he's very passionate about the topic of migrant workforce management because we talked about this. I also knew Milda, and Milda and I have been working together on this topic since 2016. So one day I suggested to Milda, let's meet Paul for lunch. Milda, I'm sure you will find the conversation interesting. And it was in January 2002, it, it means only one and a half years ago, that the three of us met for the first time. And Paul shared his experiences with us about problems with finding business school graduates who were familiar with migrant workforce management. Maybe mm. Paul, you would like to say something more about that? Yeah, it, it was an amazing lunch, right? Uh, like like you mentioned, Mika, immediately I felt like we, we could be the perfect match for this topic because um, I, I, every time I talked about this topic in, in practice, people try to learn and understand um, But uh, with uh, Aida and Milda, I immediately saw the passion and they already had this theoretical background and personal background on the subject. And I felt like together we can make something amazing by bringing together the needs that we have in practice, the needs that companies have, the need of the migrant workers with uh, Aida's and, and Milda's uh, know-how and passion and make something different that no one has done before. I'll admit that I went to the lunch thinking I absolutely cannot add anything else on my to-do list research-wise for this year. I, I must learn how to say no. <laughs> and I came out of that lunch saying, yes, and this is number one priority, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it really after talking to Paul, we were really inspired also about the opportunity to actually write together with somebody who's on the ground. That is, as you may know, really still unfortunately uncommon in our fields hmm. and just having somebody on board who knew for had first-hand experience of what we only read about was the, the most amazing opportunity so we decided to look into this in more detail and then actually to confirm what paul was telling us we talked to 10 more um, highly ranked chief human resource executives from different companies and we thank paul for for opening his contacts to us that way because they were really from these big you know, corporations like Siemens, ABB, ADECO, Western Union, um, mm. HP. And although those interviews didn't make it to the final paper, because the purpose of the paper is different, they really informed our thinking and confirmed what these senior executives are actually facing on a daily basis and what we unfortunately do not teach our students yet. Yeah. Mm. And I think there was like, so in the paper, um, I, I don't know, like the, the way you just described the kind of background story, um, it also conveys in the paper, uh, at least to me, because you applied uh, the threshold concept. Um, 
but like and when i when i read the paper i was a bit like okay this sounds a bit like um the red pill from the matrix movie um but i, I don't know like how far off is this like you know like how would you describe threshold concept and and perhaps why why it fits this topic <laughs> so, so you have to refresh in our memories on Matrix, because I watched it as an undergrad. Was, was the red pill the one you took when you're willing to learn like a potentially disturbing truth and life-changing truth versus the ignorance pill? Something exactly. Like yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so then I got it. Uh, yes. So in that case, the metaphor does work pretty well. Um, many aspects related to migration are counterintuitive and they break down old stereotypes. We can talk about it later. They challenge accepted knowledge, which could be unsettling, could be uncomfortable to students and to even lectures themselves. And mm. therefore, we thought that migration could be taught as threshold concept because threshold concept is exactly that. It's the term that uh, comes from the pedagogy literature. It has been used across fields, you know, anywhere from chemistry teaching um, ethics teaching, business teaching, economics teaching. Um, it's, it's a concept that describes like, like a cognitive gateway that opens mm. a new way about thinking, a new way for thinking about something. And the experience of learning could be uncomfortable, but it really leads you to a new way of approaching a topic. So red pill, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Makes sense in this kind of in this context. And imagine, like you know, it's it's an interesting concept because it kind of makes you think also outside the domain you're reading about at the at any given time. Hmm. How about um, I wanted to ask you? Um, so, um, kind of in addition of uh, addressing and integrating immigration into uh, courses, uh, course design and course curricula. Um, I was wondering what else educators can do to really um, ensure that uh, immigration is uh, is properly handled and also understood by the participants. Yeah, so I, I see a strong need uh, to include that in uh, um, business teaching, right? Um, universities and educators do, do a lot with, with companies as well. Um, and uh, that needs to be integrated because it's a very important point for companies to succeed as, as part of their overall talent and supply chain strategy. Um, the topic of, of migration uh, really influences uh, the HR strategy, the talent strategy, but also many other parts of uh, business life in, uh, in, in companies, right? So you talk about supply chain ethics, um, but even going into how you set up buildings, how you design um, your, your factories, how you optimize your factories, uh, where you need dormitories, where you need access for, for people uh, that need a, a living uh, opportunity close to the campus. So I would say getting that topic into many and a few point of uh, migrants and their needs into many areas of um, business education is a, a great opportunity to help companies to, to succeed. Um, many times the topic is, is not addressed directly because it's kind of an, an, a topic that people feel is politically charged and uh, they don't feel comfortable talking about it. 
Um, but when you go into the details, you see the opportunities the, for, for companies and the needs for companies to succeed in that area um, to be successful in their overall business strategy. Hmm. That was that was a really good point about this kind of the topic being politically charged. And let, let's get back to that later on. Um, and yeah, like apologies, like the next question is uh, quite broad. So please take it as, as you will. Um, like when, when you think about in terms of um, educators or practitioners, um, so like what kind of um, what, like what kind of advice would you give in um, like you know integrating immigration topics not only into curricula but also into practice? Like what what you mentioned, uh, HR or talent management or. So migration is a very wide topic and, and it has many nuances. Um, so listening to the people uh, in practice, uh, listening to the migrants themselves is, is very important because it's such mm. a dynamic topic that is has, has so many facets and uh, is, is changing also all the time. Um, it's important to understand the needs of people. It's uh, important to get that know-how into a, a more strategic view of uh, companies, you know, long-term goals and plans. Um, I'm, I'm talking about the ESG goals and, and plans, uh, so sustainability goals of companies, but as well, a real, I would say, uh, financial and economical goals of companies. Many times you, you cannot succeed in your strategy of growth without the support of migrant workers. Um, mm. Multinational hire millions of migrant workers um, and they think of migrant workers uh, as an opportunity to fill low-skilled jobs. Um, but also migrant workers have uh, specific advantages, I would say, with their experience um, over, over other uh, cohorts of people that uh, you could hire and many times they're more stable uh, so they, they're turnover, they have less turnover so the opportunity to train migrant workers for high skill jobs for example um, mm. is an opportunity for companies to, to tap into and all of those concepts and again I'm referring to my um, threshold moment with Aida uh, and Milda when we started talking about are not included today in business school teaching. And when you think through it, the opportunity is huge, the need is huge, so it's a, a perfect moment in time to address that and change that. Hmm. In, um, actually, um, kind of as a follow-up, uh, if you, um, if you uh, think about the paper and uh, look at the, all the listeners, if you want to also check it, uh, check table one, of the of the paper and there are tons of relevant topics educators could address in in courses so can you perhaps uh, elaborate some of that you think are most important uh, among those and also add uh, are there some other topics that were left out of the table and especially yeah i mean especially given your uh, immigration background perhaps as well so there's a lot more we would have liked to, to have added to the paper. But of course, we're limited by the length requirements of the journal. So mm. there are a lot of other urgent and really interesting topics 
Um, for example, the underexplored side of the impact of climate change on migration patterns and how those can change in the future. And of course, including climate refugees, but there's much more than that. Um, another related topic is what can be referred to, Paul sort of inferred to that already, the human supply chains. So it's a term that was coined by a labor law professor, Jennifer Gordon, and it refers to recruitment and management of migrant workers in the global value chains. So it's this kind of HR aspect right next to the global value chains aspect. And we touched upon it indirectly in the paper, but again, because of the length requirements, we couldn't dig deeper into it. And there's much more to research and to teach on this topic. And mm -hmm. also a very different topic is how digitalization is influencing high-skilled and low-skilled migration right now um, in different ways. And I think, Paul, you're an expert here, so maybe you could add something about the Industry 4.0, which was a brand new topic for me and Aida, um, but, but you know more about it. Absolutely. And as I, as I mentioned uh, before, you know, there is an, a huge opportunity because migrant workers are many times the, the stable labor pool in uh, companies. So the opportunity to upskill here and uh, have uh, the people get experience in automation. So instead of doing manual work, uh, working with uh, high capability and and uh, in, in a way with automation equipment um, that you enable people to take the next step in their career is a, is a huge advantage of uh, working with, with migrant workers. Um, there is a, a big demand on, uh, I would say, semi-skilled labor um, in many industries, in, in manufacturing, in medical, and so on. And um, we and many other companies have been working here with migrant workers um, to provide training to get them to the next step, uh, which provides a, a good opportunity for the company, obviously, to have a, a, a semi-skilled labor pool, but also for the migrant workers uh, to get the training and education that they would normally not have access to. So it's a it's a real win-win situation. Um, that even becomes more important, I would say, in, in times of COVID because companies struggle to get uh, the labor force that they need hear a lot about component shortages, but there is also hmm. a looming labor shortage in many industries, um, but also for migrant workers, because many of them are stranded. They cannot go back to um, country, their country of origin or see their families. Um, so finding a good way of uh, utilizing people's time and uh, making sure that, you know, even if they're in a tough situation right now with COVID, you provide them all the support, all the safety that you can and education opportunities. I think is a, is a real win-win that uh, we all need to help to tap into. And now we're actually going coming back to this notion of um, immigration or migration being politically charged. And I started thinking about this um, because like from, from the perspective of my own courses, for example, um, I have to admit that I haven't taken this into account until now, right? Um, and I started thinking about this, that especially there was this one vignette in a way, if you will, in the paper where you talk about these incidents that happen in the classroom. Like, you know, how do you address migration, immigration and all this? So like, how would you actually, like, what kind of recommendations would you have for 
both actually practitioners and educators, like how to kind of respectfully and responsibly address these topics without kind of flattening, like kind of lumping everyone into the same box. First of all, almost always there are more than one person with migration background in our classrooms. I can confirm this from my own experience of having taught in the UK. In the UK, 95% of my students at the postgraduate level mm. at Brunel University of London were migrants themselves. Um, in Austria, the classroom is also very diverse, and I'm sure Milda can echo that from having taught in the United States, Germany, and South Korea. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and you know, in fact, the leading um, business school accreditation bodies are suggesting that in the coming years, we'll see a dramatic increase in the number of students who have migration backgrounds. So hmm. there's little doubt about that. Yeah. So exactly. And second, what makes it easier for us? I mean, it makes it easier for us to teach this because we are migrants ourselves. So we are insiders mm, to the yeah. topic, we have our own experiences, but this doesn't mean, of course, that those lecturers who do not have migration background are less to teach this topic, not at all. No, um, I think there are a lot of things that could be done in the classroom to create this positive atmosphere at the beginning, you know, an inclusive atmosphere. So one thing is to open a class discussion with one of those Provocate, provocation questions, you know, and provide students with facts that challenge some stereotypes and maybe some common misconceptions, like ungrounded myths about migration. So one example is that a lot of people, and not just students, but you know, including scholars in our fields, believe that international migration numbers have risen dramatically over the past few years, mm. and that is an actual misconception. This is not factually true. The relative number of cross-border migrations uh, on the global level has remained remarkably constant if you consider that the world's population has also undergone extraordinary growth. So the number of refugees uh, may be increased, but not the overall number of international migration. And the global migration numbers in that sense have been fluctuating around 3-3.5% for the last 50 years. Um, meaning that most people, 97% of people still reside in the countries they were born. If you have an opening discussion like that in the classroom, it really gives you know, ground for, for building up a, a heated debate, an interesting debate and opens students' eyes a lot, yeah. Yeah, and another common misconception is that the national leaders often argue that the best way to decrease migration is by increasing domestic opportunities in migrant sending countries. So most people believe that uh, People don't have opportunities, and this is why they come to us. Um, so <laughs> leaders often say that an increase in export of migrants home countries would increase domestic opportunities and to deter future migration. But in reality, it's migrants themselves who drive the demand for goods produced in their home countries. And who, because migrants are, they are not only consumers, they are not buying, only buying the goods that are produced by by firms in their home countries. They are importers of goods as well, and they are also transnational entrepreneurs. So according to a leading migration scholar in sociology, Hans de Haas, migration itself is the development. So it's also a way mm -hmm. to introduce, uh, for many people, unfortunately, a content-intuitive aspect behind migration and development. Hmm. Yeah, if I may add to that, um, I, I feel, you know, migration is uh, one of the, the, the greatest uh, 
diversity and inclusion topics that that you can have in a conversation right where you can get uh, diverse ideas into a conversation so um the way that we start many times a, a conversation that includes um, migrant topics is to address that and show that to um Aida's point, migration is development, right? Migration brings a lot of ideas and skills into a conversation, into a team that you would normally not have. And um, we, like many other companies, proud ourselves that we have a strong continuous improvement and, and lean practice. And uh, it's all about bringing diverse ideas into a conversation. So upfront, making migration and the experience as a, as a positive driver um, enables a, a different way of, of uh, conversation and many times brings ideas to the table that you would otherwise not have and uh, you come to a very different much better solution uh, including migrants and their experience in uh, a project than you would have in in a normal team without addressing and acknowledging that people have a migration background hmm. i mean this is absolutely fascinating and like really relevant. I think uh, what um, I then mean, like going going back to what you mentioned about migration flows being constant. So like this is this is the reality, right? And it's not like it's not supposed to be treated as an add-on, but like kind of really integrally rethinking the way we approach both education and practice, right? Yeah, you know, if you go all the way to the anthropology of things, there's almost a philosophical discussion. Are we humans settler societies? You know, should we start with the history of agriculture and being settled? Or are we hunter-gatherers? Have we always migrated and forever will migrate? You know, so what is our real nature? But that's, you know, we hmm. leave it for a podcast on philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. many migration scholars study actually the opposite question they ask themselves why do so many people not move <laughs> why do they reside in their countries <laughs> now that they could actually move you know so yeah That's yeah. A good, really good point either, yeah thanks for um emphasizing that the migration is actually beneficial uh for bringing different kind of ideas to the table and and um and in in business and education in basically everything that we are doing um, if you if you can bring different angles um, from different cultures the result is typically much better so I can only totally agree with that but I just wanted to ask you about the teaching methods because you mentioned case studies videos podcasts and now we are of course doing a podcast that somebody could uh, use in a future course but uh, what kind of other teaching methods would you suggest to educators listening to the podcast to, to use uh, in, in courses to um, to integrate migration as a topic? I would recommend you and the listeners, um, and this is not self-promotion, <laughs> but really uh, we have a website called uh, Migration Business and Society. If you can, you can simply check it out by, you know, entering the three words into any search engine and we should be the first ones to pop up. Uh, so again, Migration Business and Society. And I'm recommending it because we have plenty of resources and external links there for teaching. We have a whole sub page called Teach and Learn, 
And we have another page on specifically informing practice. So with toolkits, videos, and blogs on migration. Um, and we even have a page called Migra Art that considers migration in literature, music, and uh, street art. And we know it's a little unexpected for business schools, but we believe in bridging fields. So we think we could really learn and, you know, this would help raising awareness and maybe changing perceptions about migration. And um, this is a more um, of a global initiative. So we also organize events right now during COVID, mostly online events with diverse experts mm. in the field. So. I could really recommend people to just take a look at this for additional resources that go way beyond their article. Yeah. Yeah, and I would also like to add that our long-term goal is to derive practice-informed and interdisciplinary in scope future research and teaching implications on migration, business, and society. Uh, so the way our initiative is structured is that we have a very high-profile advisory board with experts from academia, the NGO, NGO world, intergovernmental organizations, and the private sector. They meet once or twice a year and help us to keep up to date with the current developments and urgent topics that need to be addressed. Then we also have a senior leadership group consisting to 50-50% business leaders and senior academics from different disciplines. With their help, we also strive to have direct impact on practice. And finally, we have a large and very diverse member community. So we also meet with them virtually and discuss how to move research and teaching on migration and business schools forward. Um, maybe I should also mention, and this is what we believe, is that such a model that connects academics to practitioners, policymakers, and activists could be also used for addressing other big issues like business and poverty, gender inequality, and environmental issues. This is absolutely wonderful. So, in a way, the article is actually like one of the uh, one of the tip of the icebergs, you know, or it's like one of the tips of the iceberg, right? Yeah. So there's like much more going on underneath. We have to admit that the article inspired us. You know, we already were thinking about kind of um, uniting scholars through an initiative, scholars who work on the topic as a phenomena, because it's also a good way to bridge the disciplinary boundaries. Our, our members mm. are really from anywhere from sociology to business, right? Um, but the paper really gave us that extra nudge to actually start with it. And, and knowing Paul also helped because he's a practitioner, so he works on a different schedule and much faster than us academics. So he just says, you want to get things done, do them, right? Um, while we're still discussing the, you know, the narrative behind it. And, and this paper was also another nudge um, because researching on it helped us understand how little there is in business scholarship on this topic and how much we could contribute to it. Yeah. Mm. Thanks to Paul, we became uh, very much more action-oriented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving much faster than anticipated right now. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> so there are even people who are warning us, stop, 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 you're going to overwhelm yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful okay and we'll we'll make sure to include migration business and society website in the episode description thank you and sure and and since since you were talking about the community um so in every episode we have been asking as the kind of final question from our guests um so who or what would you consider as a cloud reacher 
in your field or or in your fields actually in this case so there are a lot of seasoned experts who work on migration both in academia um, but also in practice and uh, i could list you know i could not <laughs> go for hours with listing names um, but i think I, I will just mention a few names exactly from our network so again paul is number one here He's been pushing this topic in his company, in the electronics industry, and then encouraging us educators to actually not be lazy and get more involved. And then on our advisory board, we also have great practitioners like Kevin Franklin. He leads the global consulting and analytics functions at a consulting firm for social side of sustainability of the supply chains. And the firm called Elevate is based in Hong Kong. Dili Prata is uh, the head of World Bank's global initiative on migration um, called NOMAD. Neil Wilkins, head of migrants program at the Institute for Human Rights and Business. And I don't know how you define a clown reacher, but these people have been really doing a, a truly meaningful work. And we're profoundly grateful for them uh, for giving their time to share the expertise with us. And then to not leave the academics out, of course, there are also academics who have been doing great work in this field. And um, our advisory board includes also Alexander Becks from Oxford University. You may have heard of him from his TED Talks on, on refugees. Mario Cobranen from CBS, Copenhagen Business School. Um, Chris Brewster at the University of Reading. Christina Gibson and Pepperdine. So also from different sides of the Atlantic. William Kerr from Harvard Business School and Philip McCann from Sheffield University in UK. And as I said, I could keep listing names, but these people have been just <laughs> a source of unique insights and inspiration. I would also add that our you know, editor of the AMLE journal, Paul Hibbert, has, I would say, you, know, you don't have to be an expert in the, on this specific topic to be a cloud reacher. So he really helped us to develop the paper into personal interest in, in helping us shape it. And, and I think hmm. these are the people who then push things forward, you know, the ones who personally get involved and really try. Um, Paul, maybe you know other people from practice um, whom you could add here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we've worked with many people from, from practice. Um, I want to specifically mention uh, Janina Kugel from, uh, from, she is the former CHRO of Siemens, uh, Bertolt Stöger, uh, who is the CHRO of Semperit, and, and many, many others. Um, special thanks as well to, to Aida and, and Milda who really helped me to think through this in a, in a more um, intellectual way, I would say. And um, again, without you, I think we'll, we would never have gotten out of our tactical way of uh, thinking on migration in, in uh, the way that we, we run that in my company and in many other companies. So real kudos on helping us to elevate the thinking and get this to, to a new level. And, uh, I hope with this paper we address many questions and concerns and uh, help way more people uh, in business to understand this important topic uh, for their better and the better of migrants. But finally, I want to thank the many thousands of people and, and, and millions of people that have the courage to get to another country and work there as migrant workers, despite all the challenges that they have to overcome. Um, bring their know-how, their hearts um, to their, their new jobs and help to make so many different things that uh, we kind of take as, as certain, right? We have migrants that provide uh, all the different 
goods that we need. We have migrants that provide all the different services or the helpers. We've seen that through COVID. So my kudos goes to all the migrants, the millions of people in the world that have the courage and work very hard every day um, to make their lives and the lives of their families a little bit better. And in that way, make all of our lives much better every day. Hmm. Really powerful words. Like, thanks for sharing all the names and, and ending with these beautiful words. And just to remind everyone, so the paper is called Addressing the Elephant in the Room, Global Migration and its Implications for Business School Teaching published in Academy of Management, Learning and Education. And I would actually say, and what what um, Ida, Milda and Paul, what you have covered, like it's not only a topic for the business school, but for education and practice more broadly. So I really would like to um, thank you. So Ida, Milda and Paul, thank you so much for taking the time and taking us through your paper. Thank you so much. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us, Mika. As you can see, we we if you start us, you know, that lunch lasted good four hours, so we can keep talking about this topic. <laughs> <laughs>